Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege for us to get together. You know, for the Spirit of God, there are no boundaries. And we could meet with one another because we really are in Christ. Um, I just want to remind you that when Paul wrote Colossians, he was in jail, in chains, and yet he felt that in spirit that he was with them. So this morning we continue our Colossians series, and the name of the sermon, as Max said, the impact of knowing God. If you have your Bible, please turn there. But I want to just encourage you uh, that God is still God and still on the throne, even though we are meeting in these circumstances and we are um, going through some turmoil even you know, throughout the world because of uh, coronavirus. But I want to remind you and read you from Hindenburg Catechism on God's providence, which really encouraged my, encouraged my heart uh, for the last couple of days. It's read this on the providence of God. It says this, The almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Everything that happening, happening because of God allowed it and God sent it. So, the reason why we cancel all things is not because we are in fear or we are afraid, but because we're of consideration and love. But we have to rely on God. We have to rely on God who knows what he's doing. And in personal, my personal conviction that this situation would be for good. God doing something good even through the evil. Now, the coronavirus is evil. The, the death is evil. The sickness is evil. But what God could do through evil, it's amazing. It's amazing. And he always did that. The early church experienced persecution, and we are not experiencing persecution. But when they did and were dispersed, something real came out. The real faith stood up. And so I want to encourage you today to hold on to what is real, because right now you might sit in your couches, and some of you still in your beds watching the TV, but I want you to grab Jesus, because he is real. I want you to find through all the charade and parade and programs, find him. Find him in Scripture, because he is, and only he could sustain us and make us strong. So how do we increase in our faith in this pandemic? We go to Jesus, and we stand on the solid ground. Now with this, I want to open up Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read first 12 verses. Please read with me. Open your Bibles wherever you are and read. Follow along. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it is, has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray. Pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, we thank you. May this word be a blessing to us and lead us to you. Increase our faith in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, there's a commercial that I've really, really enjoyed by Duracell Batteries. Maybe you have seen it, and the commercial goes something like that, that there's a debate whether what's better, the longevity or more power, the long life or the more power, what's better. And uh, the conclusion of this that's what battery could provide the long life of your devices that it could work for longer or it could get more power to this device. They, they concluded with kind of broken English. They said the, uh, both are better than not both. Both are better than not both. So you wanted to get both power and longevity. And in a sense, this is what we want also from life. We want life but we want life full of life. We want power. We want strength. We don't want to just to drag our feet. We want to have an extra power, an extra life together. And this is what Paul is actually praying for the believers, that we would not be just weak believers who kind of came to faith in Christ, but that we would experience fullness of life with full power. Extra life or extra power? How about both? It would be nice to have both, to have the life that is just flourishing, that is full of vitality and victory, full of wisdom, productivity, power, and joy, and thanksgiving. It would be nice. Have you found yourself to live this life? If you're like me, I find myself often disturbed, often weak, often unproductive. Where do I find this life? Where do I find this life full of power? 
The key, as Paul, as we will see in this text, the key is really simple. The key is in the knowledge of God. That is what I call the sermon, The Impact of, the, of Knowing God. You won't find anywhere life outside of Christ. You won't find anywhere power outside of Christ except in Him. And the impact of the knowledge of God is full of life. Now, Paul, starting this book, and uh, last time we went with Max for a couple of times, and we looked that Paul is really concerned for the Colossians whom he have never seen yet. He have never seen Colossians, but he concerns, and he wants them to have something. He wants them to have the strong, powerful life in Christ. The problem for the Colossians and the, the precedent for the, for the book, as we have seen, there was a Gnostic heresy that wants to substitute Christ with something else, substitute wisdom of Christ with the wisdom of humanity. And Paul, addressing the substitution heresy, leading them to Christ by telling them that all you need to focus on Christ and find your satisfaction, but also life in him. Now, our text from verses 9 to 12, and this is the second part of the prayer. And this part is intercession prayer. Paul is praying for the Colossian believers. He prays for them that they would not change from the knowledge of God to some other knowledge, not change from Christ to something else, because the Gnostic heresy would say, Christ is good, he's good, but he's just the beginning. You need something greater. You need something better. You need some other philosophy, some other practices where you could achieve God. You could go to God. But Paul says, look, I'm constantly praying for you, praying for you, and I'm not ceasing to praying for you because I want you to have something. Now, what does Paul want them to have? What do you want to have? The good question for us, as we learn from this prayer, is that what are you praying for? What are you praying for yourself? What are you praying for the loved ones? What is that thing that you want for them? I'll tell you what you're praying for. You're always praying for the things that you think that are most important. Always. Paul prays the same way. He thinks that what's most important, I'm going to pray about the Colossians whom I love, and even though I have not seen them. But what is he praying for? Look what for, at his prayer. His prayer is for knowledge. Now, among all things what Paul could have prayed for, he prayed for knowledge of God. Now, Paul is in prison. He could pray that they could send him some help and relief, but he doesn't pray for that. That he could come out of prison he never actually prayed for that. He did not pray for the financial support. He did not pray about his chronic ill health. He did not pray for the people of God that they would not get sick. He did not pray for people of God that their children would be well off and that they will have a great careers and stuff. He did not pray that they would be healed, protected from death because that was not an essential. You see, Paul probably prayed for all of these things like you and I do in the private prayers. But when he presented with the one thing to pray, for some reason he picks 
the knowledge of God. Because this is the essential. Paul wants us to have fullness of God's knowledge. Martin Lloyd-Jones was, uh, Jones was right when he said, our supreme need, our supreme need is to know God. You know, he didn't come up with this idea. He borrowed it from Jesus. Jesus in chapter 17, in his last prayer of John, John 17, verse 3, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the essential need of every Christian at all time to know God. You know, when God created us, he placed this need right in us. We need him. We want him. We won't ever be satisfied until we come to the knowledge of God. And this is ever learning process. Paul prays for the essential, essential things. It's not like he's praying only here. Every prayer, if you go through Paul's prayers, he prays basically the same prayer, the same essential need. You don't have to go there, but if you will, you're in comfort of your homes, please go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. And here, when he prays for the Ephesian church, what does he pray for? Ephesians 1, 15 to 19, he said, for this reason, I too haven't heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you. He starts with thanking for them while making mention of you in my prayers. What is he praying for Ephesians? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Check this out. In the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will do what? No. What is the hope of his calling? Not what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now flip to Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Ephesians 3, Paul again bursts into prayer in the middle of the epistle. And he said, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may do what? May be able to. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. In Philippians 1, verses 9 to 10, exactly the same prayer he said, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. What is Paul praying for? Colossians. What does he want for the children of God? That they will know God and that they would pursue him. What do you want from God? We could ask this question. What do you want from God? What do you pray for? 
What am I praying for? I often find myself praying for anything but that because I assume that I already met God and that I don't need him for that. I need the stuff from God, things from God. But my point is here this morning is that the impact of knowledge could only happen from knowing God. Nothing else, the longevity, the power, the perseverance, the joy, the thanksgiving won't, have, won't happen unless you have the impact of knowing God. And in a sense, we need to refocus. Instead of running for the longevity, instead of running for the power, instead of running for thanksgiving and for joy, we need to run for God. And only then, the knowledge of God will impact us in such a way that all of these things that Paul mentions from 10 to 12 will happen. The key for us, verse 9. Now, I want to mention just two and, and split this text into parts. Number one is the knowledge of God. Verse 9. Be filled with the knowledge of God. That's what Paul desires. He said, you must be filled with the knowledge of God. I'm praying for the knowledge of God. This is my vision for the church that starts with fullness of knowledge. There is no fullness of life unless there is fullness of knowledge. Paul uses this word, and he said, you want to have fullness of knowledge, you need God to fill you up. We must be filled with the knowledge, but the problem is that only God could fill us with this knowledge. He said, for this reason, also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray to God for you and to ask Him that you may be filled with the knowledge. The word filled is in the passive subjunctive form, meaning that is the divine subjunctive, the divine thing that you cannot fill yourself with God or fill yourself with the knowledge of God unless he fills you up. And this is very important. That's what Paul is praying because filling up with any knowledge about God depends only on God. And not dep- that doesn't depend on you. The verb is in passive tense for a purpose. There is something that you could do, but you cannot fill yourself with the knowledge of God. No matter how many Bible verses you memorize, no matter how many services you attend, no matter how many seminaries you will finish, you cannot by yourself fill yourself with the knowledge of God. It is God's work. Now, the Bible is, is clear on the fullness of knowledge, but for this Colossian uh, book, the fullness of this word fulfilled or being complete is very important. If you, if you just... Uh, Go on a journey with me, just a brief journey. In chapter 1 of Colossians, we have this word again and again, for this was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. In Colossians 1.24, if you skip here, it says, I filled up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. In Colossians 2.9, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And 2.10, and in Him you have been made full or made complete. This is the desire for us to look at Jesus who is full of God to be filled with Christ. And this comes 
only when God fills you up. Now, Paul says that he identifies this fullness of knowledge of God. And you could say, well, look, but that, it doesn't say that, it, it, you know, you be filled with God. It says that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. And you say, well, this is not, he's not talking about God. He's talking about the Bible here. He's talking about the commandments of here, that we must be filled with the knowledge of God's word and God's commandment for our lives. And that is so, because in many ways, that when we see this phrase, the will of God, we automatically go into the commandments. For instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says that the will of God is your sanctification. It's clear, the instruction of the Lord, that's what you want to do. But I'm afraid that sometimes we are too narrow look at the will of God, and we see this is just a commandment. But if you look in the scriptures, you see that the will of God has a lot broader sense. Because even in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. It is a commandment for Paul to be uh, an apostle. But there is a purpose in this. The knowledge of God's will embraces more than just a commandment. Sometimes I think that we are lost in the commandment wood if we go through the wood of God's kingdom and there are a bunch of commandments like trees, we're lost in the trees, analyzing every tree, and we forget where we're going. When Paul is using the will of God in this sense and in many other passages that he's saying about the good will of God about you. Spiritual knowledge of God's will embraces that you know what he's planned for you. Now, that includes commandments, for sure, for sure. But that includes his good will. Knowing the fact of God's promises, knowing God's will will get you through the commandments, will get you through the wood. And Paul says, I want you to have complete knowledge. Now, check with me. What is will of God for us? And if you skip to verse 12, it is obvious what is the will of God for us. Given thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share an inheritance of the saints and light. If you think about God's will for your life, and you only think about, oh, I should not murder, I should not steal, and that is true, but how we will look higher, higher. What is the desire of God for his children? Yes, to be pure. Yes, to love your neighbor. But for what? Some scripture helps us with this. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we read, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for your calamity to give you a future and hope. In Ephesians 1, 5, it says about the will of God, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. His predestination for you to be his child, that is the will of God. Now, that includes the commandments, but this is the higher view. In Ephesians 1.9 says, He may know to us the mysteries of his will according to his kind intention, which are purpose in him. And Ephesians 1.11 says also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined 
according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, when you read the Bible and you see the will of God, don't automatically check out and say, well, this is talking about something that I must do right now. Maybe you have to look back and say, well, God is talking about plan. Plan for me. That I was nobody and nothing, and he created me to become child of God with the all inheritance of his son. Now, that knowledge of God's will will have a lot more impact than your knowledge of what you should do or you should not do. Because ultimately, in the woods of these commandments, when you get lost, look up and you say, what is the point of all of this, my father? And he would tell you, the point is that I want you to bring through life and sanctification and love and endurance to me. The point of knowledge of God to understand the mind of Christ, what he has prepared for us, that thought would carry through many trials and tribulations. God wants us to know that he is for us and that he has planned for us and that he has kind intention and he predestined us to adoption as sons by his kind will and setting upon us grace through Christ to guarantee relationship with him. That is the will of God. I would encourage you to read the revelation of God with this view. God's purpose for you, it's obey the commandments for sure, but his purpose, have a deeper personal relationship with you because he has promised you that. It is the knowledge of Jesus Christ himself. You can't get to God unless you know Christ. And of course, you cannot get to Christ unless you know the scripture. Paul says, get to know Christ. Now let me challenge you. When you read your Bible, sometimes I think that we are so, so moved to, to figure out these words and the sentences which are important that we forget why are we reading our Bibles. Do you get to the person? Do you get to the personal relationship? And when I say personal relationship, do you have it? Do you really have this joy, the impact of having God and being near at his presence and feeling him in you? Should we follow his commandments? Of course, because they're leading us to himself. But the full knowledge of God's will is confidence that he has saved you, that he has given you all that is needed to bring you to secure inheritance in Christ. Now, Paul says, my desire for Christians to experience this full knowledge of God's love and will and grace that express in Christ Jesus himself and no one else. Because in Colossians 2, 2, 3, he says, a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. 
This is what you come to know. Christ himself, person, personal relationship with him. Now, he said also, look, that I want you to have this impact of God's knowledge. I want you to, to have this personal relationship with God, knowing what he has planned for you. And I want you to have all spiritual wisdom and understanding with all of that. I want you to be wise, and I want you to be understanding. Let me just break it down for you. When you understand God's plan, the commandments make sense. Commandment makes sense. You know, you know why children hate sometimes obedience? When mom is screaming from kitchen to her 15 or 17-year son, say, well, hey, go get the laundry or go get the, the trash. And the, it's so hard to obey because all they concentrate in on the task of the obedience and it's not pleasant. They don't see the goodwill of the parents. They don't see that it is good for the household, good for them. And when you lose this focus, it is hard to go to obedience. But Paul says, look, you have to have wisdom and understanding in all of what is God prepared for you to do. Now, what's the difference between spiritual knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual understanding? You know, Sometimes we could know the things about God. And we could know a lot about God. But does it mean nothing that we are wise? You could be a biblical encyclopedia walking and anybody poking on you. So what's this, what God says about this topic? And it's like a pressing the button and you just spill it out. What, what Bible says about this topic? What is in Jeremiah 29, 11? Do you know? And you could spill it out. But that doesn't mean that you're wise. Not necessarily. Now, you cannot be wise without knowledge of God's will, but wisdom is something different. It's when you take this knowledge and make a right choice in your life. Think about wisdom of making right choices, proper choices. When you know his will, you know his, his plan for you, how are you going to apply this in your life it's a matter of whether you're a wise man or not. To know things about God is not same as to be making right choices. It is one thing to know the will of God. It's another to apply it to your life. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says, this is actually my purpose of my ministry. We will proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The completeness comes when you know the plan of God for you and you act accordingly. Tim read from Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Wisdom is taking God's word and applying in a specific situation, making right choices. And for this reason, we have to be careful how we use the Bible for our lives and for others. If you just spread in the verses, it doesn't mean that you're a wise man. Be careful how you use the, the Word of God with people. Spiritual knowledge is awareness of God's plan for you. Spiritual wisdom is ability to make right choices. What is then spiritual understanding Paul is talking about? Spiritual understanding is connects 
to uh, practice putting a specific truth in the bi- of the Bible in action habitually. When you're habitually applying this, when you understand, understanding comes from practice. Um, now, let me illustrate this. Now, many of you know how to ride a bicycle. I hope you do. And maybe you are in the process of learning how to ride a bicycle. But remember how you learn. Now, now your dad or your mom would explain to you everything. They would just give you a tutorial on how to ride a bicycle. So you just sit, you know, you just paddle, and everything's going to be good, but it doesn't. So you fail, right? You fail, you get up, and then you try it again and again. So no amount of knowledge would actually get you to an understanding how to ride this. Now, you take this, this plan. So well, this is what you do. You sit down, and after practicing you learn. And then you could say, now I understand how to write this. For instance, we could understand that eating pizza at night is bad. Right? And we could understand that exercising instead is good. But if you never apply this, you never really understand it. If you don't have wisdom to actually do it, to make right choices, you would never understand it. But if you know the plan and then you apply this plan and make the right choices and you apply wisdom, then after a while when you're doing this, you are actually, after a year or so, you say, well, actually, I understand that this is good. This is good for me. This is actually awesome. I experienced this with jogging. I hate jogging. I don't like jogging. I didn't like jogging. And I, 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 I couldn't make myself to jog or to run if... if Two mad dogs were running after me, but I understood that it's good for me. And after a while of practicing, now looking back, I see the effect and say, well, this is good. Same thing with the will of God. You know his plan. You have the application in your life, and then you practice it. And then you say, this is good. My God is good. His plan is good. It's better than mine, and it's working. It is great. And you go back to his word. And you seek him. And you fill yourself with knowledge of God. And you apply it in your life. And then you understand. And it's one thing to take a class on the will of God. Another is to practice it habitually. So that you could say, I walk with Jesus. That is why I like reading biographies of people who walk with Jesus. That is why I like older people who walk with Jesus for longer than I did because they have more understanding of him. Now, that's the knowledge. And when you have this impact of this knowledge of God's love on you and you have applied it in your life, you present it with the choice how are you going to walk? How are you going to live your life? And if life would be pleasing to God. Now, you can't live, you can't start with this uh, perception. I want to please God. What do I do? You have to start with, I want to know God. What do I do? I have to open myself up as a channel so that he could fill me in. And only then, as the outcome, as the fruit will come the pleasing of God. And all of these things that Paul mentions, four things will happen to you. Now, just briefly, Paul says, the result of the impact is is sure. Paul, when he prays, he's not just praying 
for them to be filled, but he prays with confidence. He said, when you're filled with God, so that this would happen. In verse 9, he said, so, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner of worthy of the Lord. There's no other way to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The only way is to know God, and only then that would flow. The conduct, the life, the, the walk would flow out of that. You cannot say I possess deeper knowledge of God, and when you look at your life, there is no effect on your life. Remind you about the Russian fake healer, Grigory Rasputin. He, he was that. He, he said, I have the higher knowledge. He was just the, the, the example of the Gnostic heresy here. I have the knowledge from God, and it doesn't matter what I do. He was perverted person who creeped in in Tsar's family to pervert them. He said, the body will die anyway, so don't worry about your sins. Just indulge in them. The most important thing that you have, the knowledge of God. But the thing is, the impact of knowledge always leads impact on your life. Always. It is inevitable transformation so that the impact would be noticeable by you and by everyone around you, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the words for, for manner worthy, meaning simply of the balance. The word is here at the scale, so you're balancing. What are you balancing? You're not balancing of how much you read about the Word of God and how much you do. That's not what you're balancing. Well, let me, how much do I sit and study the Word of God or how much I go and help my wife to clean the dishes? That's not the balance he's talking about. He's talking about the, the worthiness, the balance of the God's plan for your life and your plan for your life. That's the balance. And if you say that you have the impact and the knowledge of God and His plan for you, then it would have an exact effect on the plan, your plan for your life. So what is your plan? I'll tell you what's your plan. Your plan is God's plan. And only then it would be worthy. It would be equal. It would be matching. It would be equalizer. You put it on the scale what God wants for you and what you want for you. And Bible addresses it many, many times. He says, well, this is like when we, we look at your life, how has it happened that you call yourself fountain of life, but death comes from you? Or you call yourself a fig tree, but you produce olives. Or you, have the, the, you think that you're salty water, but you, or, but you produce fresh. You can't do that. If you really have wisdom of God, and you understand Him, you understand what He wants from you, and you aim at the pleasure of God, that's your aim. If you know God, you aim to be balanced in your life at His pleasure. That's what He says here, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to what? Why? To please Him. To please Him. In a classical Greek, this word almost exclusively used in a negative way. And, and when I tell you how, you will say, you know, how we use it in a negative way. We want to please someone. We often please someone to get something out of the and so this pleading of the, uh, of the person that, with, with pleading with the person, is always 
you know, aimed at, at our pleasure, not the other person's pleasure. For instance, like our children. You know, the other day, my, my little one asked for candy. and said, well, Mom, can I have a candy, please? And she put in a nice smile, and she wanted to please her to get the candy out, right? And then Mom doesn't. She says, Mommy, can, can you give me candy, please? I want candy. What can I do to get candy? How can I please you? I could make my bed. I could help you clean it, but I want candy. Mama, I want candy. I want to die. I, I will die. So there's a manipulation of the trying to please a person to get something out of it. But Paul says here, no, that's not the kind of pleasing you want from God. You have the only aim in your life to know him so that this knowledge would please him in your life, that he would be pleased. He is the benefactor, not you. And Paul says, in all respects, it affects all your life in all respects. Now, that's point one, the impact of God's knowledge on you. The knowledge of God must impact you. You have to run for this one thing. And this is not just my thing or Paul's things. Moses asked Lord, he said, show me your glory. I want to know you. Show me your glory. He begged him, and God was pleased. David, in Psalm 42, he said, well, like the deer pants for water, my soul pants for you. I want you. I want to know you. Paul says, for the, for the purpose of knowledge Christ, I abandon everything and, and, and see it as a trash. I want to know you, and I want to associate with, with you. I want to walk with you in the good days and bad days. And even to death so that I could associate with you in resurrection. Is this your desire? Is this your prayer? Do we even pray about that? Or we assume that we know God. We know his will. Question is, and there's a good test coming out. If you do. You understand God. The effect that springs out of this knowledge will be these four things. Four things that Paul says that would affect, have effect, this knowledge will have effect on your life. Number one, you will grow in fruitfulness. Number two, your relationship with God will grow. Number three, You will grow in your strength to be patient and kind. And number four, you will grow in gratitude. Now, we could measure how much really do we know God by these four things. Do you really know God? Are you affected by his love so much that this production of the fruit and relationship and strength and gratitude is just flow out of you? Because if you're filled with God, if you complete yourself with God, if you have Christ who is in you, in you, in him, this would be evident. Look with me, verse 10. It says, after we please in him in, in, these, in, in all respects, he mentions these respects in which we please in him. And he said, the impact of knowing God it would be an increase in your fruitfulness. You see that he says here, bearing fruit in every good work. 
Think about grapevine that is stuck to, to a, a vine, the branch stuck to a, a vine that abides in the vine. And Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me, then you will produce much fruit. The more believer abides in Christ, clicks to Christ to know him as branch to a vine, the more fruit God will produce through him. This is the outcome, the result. Now, in verse 1, or chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 5 and 6, Paul said already, and Max talked to, uh, uh, taught us about this, that, that the gospel itself already produces fruit. It says, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. And when he says here that that production that started with the gospel, God will use you as a channel and as a branch continuously. And the point is simply this, but because you are grafted in Christ, you will bear fruit. No doubt about it. If you look at your life and there are no fruits, you are not Christian for sure. You are just dried up branch. Sometimes the fruit is very small, sometimes insignificant, but there is fruit. Fruit can be different in quality, but you are plugged in in Jesus. Christian will bring fruit of the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it. And if you are hooked to the ocean of God's love, it would flow out of you the living water. Now, I read this, uh, the, the commentator Kitchen said a nice, real, a good phrase about this, this point. He said, yesterday's grace must become today's fruit. Whatever you receive from God has to turn into fruitfulness. True believer never rests in yesterday harvest or of righteousness, but ever press forward for continuing growing in Christ. There is no waiting period. As soon as you plugged in into vine, you bearing fruit. But it's interesting that he says, in every good work you must produce fruit. That implies that sometimes when we think that we're doing good, we actually do, do not. Sometimes the, the, the deed itself is good, but it doesn't produce anything. What makes good work fruitful before the Lord? If it is produced by God or not, that is all. You know, evangelism is a good thing, but done improperly, it will produce anger and resentment. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Not every good thing that we do is actually good. Now I'll just mention in closing, and we'll get back to this next time. This is one of the ways how you see the impact of knowledge on you is when you produce fruitfulness. When you actually, not just doing a bunch of ministries, but the ministries is productive. When you're not just helping people, but you're helping people actually producing fruit in you. The next three is in this text, increases in the knowledge of God, which is personal relationship with God. You will experience the power to go through with an impossible situation and impossible people. You will be attaining to all steadfastness and patience. 
and you will joyously give thanks to God. Now, as we close, I want to encourage you that God has qualified you to the inheritance of saints in life. That's his will for you. That's his good will for you. And he encourages you to get to know him day after day. After 25 years of following Jesus, Paul still admitted that he has not attained the goal of knowing Christ. He still wants to gain him. I have counted all things to be a loss. But the surpassing value, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We sang today, I want to know you, Jesus, my Lord, King of the heavens, King of my soul. I trade my treasures in all my rewards. Jesus, to know you, then know you more. Father, we pray that you bless us with this knowledge and that that knowledge would not be vain, that we would have ever-increasing desire to be near to you and to be filled with your plan for our lives. May your name be blessed. Amen.